Greetings everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I'm hosting the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast from the third coast, the Gulf Coast, the best coast, the coast with the most, the Texas Gulf Coast. Thank you all very much for joining me once again. Another great episode and on episode nine of the 12 Days of Xmas Upload Special. If you are listening to this in the future and not, um, you know, in the present or this is uploaded, keeping up with the upload event, uh, feel free to um, listen to the previous episodes uploaded in sequence and uh, look forward to the last few episodes to be uploaded on this 12 Days of Xmas holiday special uploading event 12 new episodes uploaded every day for 12 days leading up to Christmas and then an episode on Christmas about Christmas the um, episodes have been amazing and, and really fun to do but this is marking the end of the free content the majority of content 90% of all future content will be behind a paywall on Patreon Dot com and various other um, you know places to put it to keep them secure and archive them, but they will no longer be free to the public due to the enormous pressure from the platforms themselves, uh, YouTube, for example, and um, the censorship there, as well as uh, the amount of weaponized shills, trolls, etc. Now I will be you know eventually uploading maybe one or two episodes for free a month to kind of uh, you know um, fit for breaking news or, or for event, special events that would be uh, you know I believe you know gifts to everyone but the majority of content 90% of it the daily uploads the weekly uploads the special guest interviews the video content dark web footage strange evidence um, you know all the content that the Beyond Top Secret Texan produces, both sides of it, video, visual, and um, podcast and audio, that plus the future projects, uh, original entertainment projects uh, that I'll go into in a later date, will be behind the patreon.com slash Beyond Top Secret Texan paywall. Now, don't worry, at the amazing value of only $1 a month, you can access this and join the Patreon. And this is a, for a limited time offer. Um, $1 per month buys you direct messaging capabilities through the Telegram group. It gets you instant notification and email sent out whenever a new uh, podcast is uploaded. It gets you access to polls, access to exclusive content, the video content, the addresses for such, etc., the archives. And um, really allows you to uh, join a community amongst, you know, with other people who are serious about this content, who are not just um, shills out to, or my competition, for example, out to uh, purely uh, scalp and try to try to ride everyone's opinions, get the uh, info from you guys. It protects y'all, it protects me, as well as it supports me, it keeps me thriving, keeps me alive, keeps me able to produce independent media for the future uh, without having to uh, cater to the censorship that's going to start uh, plaguing America and 
and um, starting basically a huge exodus away from those sinking ships of platforms. This is all people helping people. This is all by the people for the people, uh, power for the people, and that's why I'm keeping the prices uh, very low, but currently they're only $1 to begin. There are other tiers available, depending on how much of appreciation you want to show and your generosity. They're all very affordable. They're, they deliver on the content. They deliver, uh, they're all very worth it to keep uh, independent and citizen journalism alive and uh, to keep this channel um, you know, rocking and rolling for the future. It all goes to the channel. It's all going to buy equipment, buy uh, you know different um, sound equipment, different video equipment to to record documentaries, to edit. Uh, for example, high you know uh, top of the line uh, editing software. You know, really up the game and give you guys what you paid for. It's really you know because you get what you pay for. And if you add a dollar and everyone adds a dollar, the videos would be you know at a professional quality level close to Hollywood uh, because I would give you guys that effort I would put it in the time work full time on this already and that would free up a lot of my uh, you know work load because you work smarter not harder with technology you know it eases the burden I could even maybe uh, support my guests support their projects thus providing for greater content worldwide you know as it networks out and distributes out but it all starts with you. It all starts with you uh, clicking the Patreon.com link, patreon.com slash beyondtopsecrettexan, signing up for a $1 membership, a $5 membership, a $10 membership, and that's per month, and that gives you access to that. Or even just donating a one-time uh, donation on Cash App. You know, that's absolutely appreciated, and you'll be rewarded with that month's links, or uh, depending on your donation, a uh, equivalent gift of, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. So basically, um, you know, check me out there. Just wanted to plug that before we start. And, uh, you know, always bring up the fact that these are going to be the last free uh, weekly episodes for and moving on in 2022. It's going to be a different program moving on. That being said, definitely if you haven't already, check out my Instagram, Instagram.com uh, slash uh, Beyond Top Secret Texan. That's at Beyond Top Secret Texan on Instagram and everywhere else. Just Linktree that shit. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. And you can find out my links, my social media, etc. They're all on Instagram as well. So just, you know how to use the internet. Uh, speaking about the internet, speaking about internet usage, and speaking about that kind of ubiquitous uh, cultural cookie cutter uh, type of necessity you know or kind of pattern by necessity uh, evolution of this internet creator uh, mindset and delivering and or delivery and and how it um, how it's it's so you know modern and and uh, universal and this is a very meta episode because the the subject of internet culture and internet landscaping, basically, the internet as it is a community and a society in itself, well, there are very strong pieces of evidence and very disturbing trends that are collectively known as the dead internet theory. And the dead internet theory is... Uh, very it's very strangely disturbing 
even though it's it's one of those cyberpunk cyber dystopia and and it's very strange given its its implications but also we're going to talk about it and kind of weigh the the not pros and cons of it but weigh the the validity of it because i believe it's more a hysteria from the older generations of online users morphing into a type of um, anti-capitalist rhetoric, which is completely fine in criticizing the tech giants that are taking over and reshaping the internet and, and repurposing the internet for their own goals and agendas, thus radically uh, altering the reality of the digital landscape and what it means to use the internet and what the internet experience is. Uh, as it is a very meta episode because as a creator, the greatest success and the, really the, the thing that I, in my generation, always was gearing towards but in this limbo because I'm actually one of the last people who grew up without computers even though the world had computers, they hadn't filtered down yet into the lower working classes. And even though things like schools all had computers, like, hot, you know, they were integrated in society, you could still live a life without them. And that most of life was lived without computers and without things like the internet, even though they were still available. And it took literally a, a few years, I think maybe two decades, to phase into universal existence. And I saw the things like the rise of the internet, the first days of YouTube, um, the the transition from Y2K era internet to post 9/11 era internet, the, and the rise of censorship, the rise of the big tech, uh, death of the internet, the 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 seizure of the internet basically by the FBI. Um, Every fad, every movement, every viral thing, every from the creation of even Slenderman, uh, I was in that forum chat. I don't like to brag about that. This is not something I'm saying it's a brag, but when you think about it historically, it is because it's like you were there for the first days of jazz, and you're not like, yeah, I was there when that guy uh, did that thing, and you're like, got it. I don't want to be that guy, but it's the thing. It's like because it's the internet, and it's so weird. Because I said I grew up a little bit before that, so it's so weird to even say that where you're like. But people are like, for example, having success and popularity and they're making fortunes, uh, small fortunes, but they're making their own living, discussing the nostalgia of the internet at a time when I had already been using the internet for like 10 years. And and it's it's one of those things where you're like, oh, well, if you thought that was weird, imagine being like on the internet in 1996. You know, and then looking up the shit that was there as a child, but you know, as a nine-year-old. But then you're like, you know, you, you it's not like I seized the opportunity, was able to unaccept it. But uh, everything from the first internet bubble, pre nine eleven, pre two thousand, to the Y two K era, to the evolution of like uh, home computers and things like that, uh, the the Mac era, and then I say like. It, <laughs> It's it's one of those things where you don't want to brag about it, but you're like I was, you know, you were there for the map. But so many millions were. It's not. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened in the real world, and it's weird now that the internet is like this monolithic thing that people have made billions of dollars on, and everyone is on it. 
and everyone wants to associate with it and to have a presence on it because the same millions of people like myself and my generation and those before us and then and those actually during our time and everything around the world you know it wasn't it, it was something that you wouldn't respect it was something that was considered kind of an oddity or something that was considered kind of a, a marginal thing and didn't have influence didn't have much much uh, sway outside of the the very edges of society and it's like um, you know, it was either completely industrialized in an office capacity, right? It was only like like used in terms of production or you know um, that that eighties vibe where computers were like somehow attached to Wall Street in like the the most like weird way that if you had a computer, you were working for the government or you were working for a big business or something like you were like a CEO or like an accountant and you had to have the computer because you were like at the front of society. And then the nineties, it was like, you were on a computer cause you were a loser. <laughs> you were a fucking creep and like a pervert and like, like basically like a homeless person. So for some reason, like you didn't take care of yourself. You were crazy. And that's like best in the movies like uh, Johnny Mnemonic with like uh, with uh, Keanu Reeves, where it's like he goes to an underground hacker group and there's like a dolphin they keep in an aquarium with a computer in his brain and it's like exactly you had to be like some kind of or the movie Hackers where it's like skaters and like kids and like there's Angelina Jolie and you know she stinks like she has to smell like garbage. And like, and there's this whole idea of like, um, exactly. Even then, they had like the corporate version of it. So there's this battle in a binary between the two forces that use the internet the most, right? The the rejects and the outcasts of society, and then the people who control society itself, the actual controllers of society, and it and in between is every other person who's ever lived their life on earth. The people who are just trying to live day to day and get by and just like not have fucking someone kill them or have their shit taken from them. Exactly. Like, you know, there's people who are trying to like, maybe just get a little bit more satisfaction out of like their hobbies or just like, you know, get a little bit more free time in the society. And the, the infusion of technology into their lives was a drip process as it competed for the other things that their attention, you know, was given to. Um, there was a time, believe it or not, where women didn't look at their phones at nightclubs. Imagine that. And those women are still alive. Exactly. Like, most of them are, but a lot of them have died, you're right. But still, you know, like, it, you're going to get that. And, uh, but that's like, like, there was a time when college kids didn't care about their social media and they wanted to be college kids and they had good times and they had like, you know, successful experiences and memories. And then they moved on to ironically work for computer companies that make their money on making people obsessed with the internet and with, with having no real experiences and cut off from reality. And now they're competing for these uh, attention spans, these, uh, these, these perception, you know, these, these creations of worlds 
and memories and things like that. Now, this gets into a weird thing with the whole dead internet theory because the whole dead internet theory is a theory suggesting that the internet is empty currently. That the internet died in 2017, approximately 2017, due to various legislatures and various uh, arrests and seizures specifically on the dark web as being the last death nail in any free internet, any free uh, civilian uh, traffic use of the internet. And what you're seeing now is a complete skeleton, just as a skeleton of what it used to be. And it's ran by uh, a few major companies through a few major server providers. And that the technology that they've actually used is a combination of psychology and algorithms that are like supercomputer AI level. And that the entirety of the internet has been funneled away from a real experience where you use the internet to... uh, to uh, explore the things that in real life you are interested in, to using the internet to decide what things in the real life are worth being interested in. And that that criticism is the reason why uh, not... Not only uh, are most people truly not online anymore compared to how it was, but will never be, and why the internet forevermore will basically be a ghost town. It will be mostly ghost towns with a few major cities, as it were, if every major social network or platform or, or mega site was really like a, a considered a city, and that these cities will contain everyone who is on the internet around the world, uh, while everything else basically atrophies and dies and goes defunct and extinct and is lost, all the work that was done that's not supported or promoted or shared or kept alive through these major sites. Thus, they can censor everything over time, and within the next few generations, the internet will not be the internet anymore. If you are lucky like myself to have remembered what the internet means and what it meant, like what it, what it truly like was and the experience of going to various websites and like forums and image boards and um, really like it was it's ironic because like my entire life I've always had this internal battle with not wanting to spend time on the internet because the internet is not a uh, it doesn't have social prestige and it's not a thing for men to do like I grew up on on like classic literature as my 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 surrogate study and because it, those were all written in the ancient world, I have a very ancient code of what masculinity and manhood means. And um, the internet, even though it was you know obligatory and uh, obligatory and and you know society was always moving towards that direction, 
I preferred analog art. I preferred old things. I preferred obscure things. And yes, you could find those on the internet. So it's always this paradoxical relationship with that. Where I slowly became uh, on the internet, completely on the internet, due to wanting to find escapism and finding uh, that kind of elitism that that the internet does offer the the quote unquote dark web level of internet, and that was like the last decade of internet usage, and that that ended in 2017 fully. The FBI owned the Tor; they took over the the Onion Network, Silk Road. Those figures got punished, and uh, you know, basically, the Pirate Bay was was attacked and defeated. And everything, everyone knows who was online that it's completely different now and that the outlaw nature of the Wild West nature of the internet is gone. And for the better, for the better, actually, the internet was a huge cesspool. It was a huge, like I told you, it was terrible in every respect when it comes to, you know, the absolute anarchy it was. Because true anarchy is not utopia. True anarchy is fucking piracy. And, like, outlawship and fucking cruelty and things without any kind of sense of judgment or, or uh, justice. Because it's might makes right type thing. And it's like, um, you know, I can tell you some fucked up shit from the internet. Um, but that would, you know, I, I don't want to even walk down those memories anymore. Uh, and that's just from watching it and imagine the, the actual apparatus that was people doing those things and putting it online and the the black market that existed around you know there and and then I can only imagine what it was if I wasn't you know born in 1987 and and like you know um, actually as an adult was there for the first days of it that shit would have been fucking you know I'm pretty sure I would have I would be um yeah, much more, much more uh, active in that kind of uh, uh, the whole development of these forums and everything. If I was the case, because you could see it coming, but that's neither here nor there. Point is, the dead internet theory is that that old world is gone, and most people have moved away from it. Most people do not use it. And they've gone to things like apps, and they've gone to other ways of discussing, but then again, they have no other way of going on there anymore. They have been completely removed. That entire electronic system is disabled. That does not exist anymore like people think, like people have thought, and, and people were able to get on. You cannot actually operate like that anymore. And socially... Uh, it doesn't exist. That there's no real traffic. There's no real way to um, exist, uh, you know, online without the support of these major platforms, these major pillars. This is where I'm going to go with the entire uh, summary of it. Is that the dead internet theory is both right and wrong, and it's accurate and inaccurate, and you know. While I could talk for a long time about the different variables, I'm actually just going to leave a uh, leave a uh, audio recording from a third party source speaking about the facts, where it's, you know the actual statistics of increasing and decreasing traffic yields, populations, IP addresses, etc. But also, 
you know, discussing it very simply in, in layman's terms, more people now are using the internet than ever before, but fewer people are actually using the internet. Most people are on the social network sites, specifically Facebook. Most people are only operating on uh, business levels as uh, paid for, you know, basically the electronic front is where a lot of marketplaces occur, scams, um, etc. that third worlders use the internet for because they don't have domestic internets in like Africa and uh, Southeast Asia, etc. So all the internet users have are either divided amongst you know normal people and uh, paid for users accounts sock puppet accounts shills those are said the shills and trolls these are the sock puppet accounts that they hire these are reviewers users content creators uh, influencers etc that are not real people the dead internet theory is appropriate name because it's more the haunted internet theory at this time the haunted internet theory that I would propose is that the internet is not empty it's absolutely filled to the brim with ghosts ghost accounts ghost networks old accounts people have already closed down and they operate still without them they're just hijacked and they, they use them and this goes into people who are died their Facebook accounts get sold their data is sold that data goes to make like you know tens, twenty, thirty uh, identical accounts with the same, and they they go on to use that to navigate and to fake traffic, to fake uh, comments, to fake uh, uh, the numbers, the analytics, to exploit the algorithm in a desperate attempt to kind of uh, uh, rig the game. When it comes to the people who pay for views, who pay for their services, that the idea of the outlaw internet man, like the that still exists, and that yes, you can still be on the internet specifically to spread your 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 own awareness and your own information of whatever project or you know research that you want to do. Absolutely, now. The the websites will not be encouraged. Your traffic will be a fraction of what it was. And all your comments and, and your comment section, all the people approaching you will be scams, will be scammers, will be negative uh, influences that are just there to try to profit and rip people up posting links uh, to their websites. And it's all automated. It's not necessarily that one person is doing all of this. It's the, the, the AI that has been bought, that has been created, is available now on the open market to send thousands of these messages out per second, to send millions of them per day. And over time, it adds up, and you're just seeing the effects of it. And they're just simple messages on simple accounts that'll be like uh, most of the YouTube channels, for example. Specifically, like most of the YouTube channels, for example, are made by AI. They're made by AI, and they're overseen by moderators in the dozens, right? In total batches of like hundreds at a, a, per day. 
and they're made by companies. They're made by real industrial companies that say like Mattel, uh, the toy companies like a Nintendo or something will make hundreds, if not thousands of YouTube channels per year speaking about their products. And they'll copy those videos and edit them differently. And it's all like this AI will just keep reposting them. And they'll be under different names. They'll be in different like geographic locations. They'll have different data on them. And it's just because they know they can get YouTube dollars that way. And promote their products. R- relatively very, very, very freely. Uh, because the internet is completely free to use. Whereas traditionally, advertising is enormously expensive because it's already a known grift, right? And that's the thing, like, for for the cost of what it would take to run an international toy commercial, the good people at the Lego company can make 10,000 sock puppet accounts on YouTube and pay 100 actors to make uh, YouTube videos that they can just edit a thousand different ways using AI and Philippines uh, studios, etc. Pay pennies on the dollar rather than actually casting and then developing programs, sending an advertising program. And they can use the analytics that the YouTube platform is generating to see how effective these ad campaigns are without the uh, need for million-dollar ad companies etc. Like I'm saying, this is actually worth it to them. And this is a system that's been in place for nearly 10 years. So since 2010, most of the content that has been put on the internet is ghost content. Literally, it's not uh, functioning, it's not active, It's not, it was just put on there. Uh, articles, for example... There are, since 2010, the idea of writing for the internet, writing articles, writing jokes, uh, writing columns, writing for a magazine or for a website or a blog, you used to be able to make money being a blogger. If people were, if you were popular enough and you hit the vibe for enough people traveling or eating food, you could write your opinion down and generate enough numbers to sell advertising to support yourself living in a major metropolitan area in America before 2010. After 2010, the world was flooded with articles online that are paid to direct traffic to specific websites as a form of advertising. And those webs and that method of generating traffic and views for articles has completely ruined the the entire concept of blogging. Because there are literally every day millions of articles being put online, mostly written by AI, using copy and paste type algorithms. To simply force traffic over to certain places like celebrity gossip sites, uh, health tips, beauty tips, travel tips. All of it goes to, say, the airlines or, um, say, hotel companies and chains or, or major makeup companies, uh, major, um, you know, say, like restaurant franchises and things. 
all the seemingly organic content online is ghost content. It's not alive. It never really was alive. It wasn't created by living people. It's the ghost in the machine just pumping out information. Because it's created to. This goes into social media websites too, social media networks. Most social media networks are fake networks. Specifically created to function to pump up numbers. And the numbers get pumped up for um, the highest bidder, basically. You just have to go on Instagram as a company and you'll immediately see in your inbox dozens of invitations to support companies that will give you 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 likes in a day, uh, 5,000 followers in, in a month. For for very little money, fifty bucks United States, uh, DA, you know, uh, United States money. Um, for for like five hundred dollars, you can get a hundred k, you know, whatever bargain likes it is or whatever over over the course of a year, and you're like, wow, what does that mean? That means that nothing is real if you start thinking about the amount of uh, profit that's at stake here and the amount of, um, you know, that kind of, it's just, it's, it's all for the highest bidder. It's all um, corporate right now. Like I said, there was originally a divide between the independent uh, people online and these big corporations. Well, the big corporations won. Uh, big money now uh, rocks the little guy's shit. And will take a uh, channel off their platform uh, without even warning them. And the community guidelines are are how they do it. They do it through this kind of Aurelian doublespeak. And so there's no chance for anyone really to fight them or to exist outside of them. And now people are trying to, obviously. And I'm not saying that the internet's completely empty. It's still got millions of people around the world who actively use it and love it and try to support it and fight for freedom. But out of the billions and billions of people who make up the real numbers that the the major system cares about, those are mostly fake. Those are so the dead internet theory is mostly correct. How I was talking about before, that what used to be a living landscape, a real environment online that was motivated by the real world and was a companion to the real world has now become the real world specifically because its users don't exist outside of it. So everything is made purely for the internet because that's where the numbers, quote-unquote, are. But those numbers aren't real people. They're generally bots. They're AI. They're uh, they're chat bots. And that corporations who are seeking those numbers start catering more towards the machine, towards that AI, than they do real human beings. And real human beings... And a game of monkey see, monkey do, start acting like AI. <laughs> because AI has more likes than they do. And so a conversion is taking place. 
were no longer are real people living in the real world, but the real world people are trying to act like the AI and the corporate websites and the corporate social media sites and the completely artificial top-down um, advertising blitzes that they are pummeled with through their feed that in, and all their likes and social media uh the reason why I was talking about that people used to go on hundreds of different uh, websites every week, right? Dozens of different websites per day. They used to just literally go to def- different websites. They only have to go to one website now. <coughs> Whatever they want to use. If they're a Facebook user, they go on Facebook. If they go on Instagram, they go on Instagram. If they go on TikTok, they go on TikTok. And then they stay there all fucking day. They don't switch websites. They find the one they like and they go there. Or they go on a carousel, but every single one they go on is just another big one. Um, they'll go on Facebook, then they'll go on Instagram, then they'll go on uh, TikTok, then they'll go on Twitter, then they'll go on uh, you know Wikipedia, then they'll go on uh, another big website like uh, Amazon or something. They don't go to little people websites anymore. They don't go to little GeoCities websites anymore. They don't go to image boards or forums anymore to hang out uh, with their friends or with their online buddies or with the real community that speaks to them. College humor failed recently, specifically because of this. Now, it's a small detail. It's not like the military-industrial complex or a hacker group or, you know, Google um, fucking up like the little guy, but just a, a, a real warning, a real stark, like when you watch the icebergs melt and the polar bear is dying for climate change or whatever. When you, when I saw college humor went bankrupt, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I went to college 15 years ago and college humor was one of the biggest websites in the world, in the world. And now it was bankrupt. And I was, it's like, because it can't compete with YouTube, it can't compete with these bigger, much more well-managed and functioning um, companies. No matter what the original, the real everyday person would care about, the internet's not what it was once, and real titans of the industry are going bankrupt, they're going defunct. Um, 4chan, for example... I'm a huge 4chan lover, loved 4chan for 15 years, you know, um, internet hate machine all the way, true and on, and the, the true state of 4chan now is a fucking joke, it is a complete joke, it is so tame and toothless because of the censorship and the moderators and the politics behind those moderators, the social opinions of them, compared to what it once truly was. Um, the fact that it has been uh, sold and bought and infiltrated by the FBI has created a reality, like, a, like an experience, that when you go there, it's a ghost town. It's completely empty. And that everyone you talk to on the on the posts, all the posts, all the all the threads, all the replies from almost every single board you feel is completely fake. And that it's like if you drove to a town that y- you know, you get that uncanny valley a feeling to it where it's just like 
the windows are painted on. <laughs> you know, like, the lights are on, but no one's home. It's this weird fucking feeling where you're like, I'll go to, like, X on 4chan, and it's just like... It, I mean, it's hard to explain the, the experience you need to kind of see through the bullshit, but those aren't those aren't real people posting that shit. That's not. That's like, an, it's either chatbots or it's uh, FBI agents, shills, people who work for Mossad, things like that, or it's foreign companies that are trying to exploit this part of the American internet experience, or the western internet experience, to try to scam people and it's like organized crime uses it to like you know, try to get you to like, you know uh, buy their shit or their products Um, other websites use it to try to direct traffic to, to them, and so it's literally everyone on there has some kind of agenda it has some kind of weird bummer vibe to it. And it's, I know it's weird, but there was a lot of connection and optimism and like community years ago that is gone now. And it's, I don't think ever coming back, at least not where it once was. Um, just like how there used to be towns and all over the place and now they're ghost towns and they're gone and they're not even on the map anymore and they're never coming back because the reasons for those towns existing has radically changed um like the the highway 66 the route 66 shops there used to be hundreds of little like restaurants and diners and like gift shops and shit like department stores and stuff around uh, Route 66 and they changed the highway system and no longer was there the real life traffic and thus those places became ghost towns they became bankrupt they went out of business and they closed down and it's because the people at the very top made the decision to change the highway that entire town suffered for it. And that's what I'm saying. When you go to a place that's dead, a ghost town, and you walk around, you get a feeling that this place is a dead. You know, it's, it's the dead internet theory. When you go online, when you log on and go online, you have a distinct feeling that the internet is dead. It is a ghost town. And yes, there are still people online. I I think, yes, more than ever before, there are real people online. But those real people have AI-inspired opinions, persona. They only use six websites. They So being online, they might as well be a bot. They might as well be a shill. They might as well be um, these these scams themselves because the echoplex is so tight some places but other places that are that you think are alive are ironically ghost towns too kept alive by money from other top down interests twitter for example um no one uses twitter no one uses twitter they found out that that twitter has the lowest 
by far of any social media network, and 95% of the Twitter uh, users don't get any shares or replies, and that the people who are popular on Twitter are shared by the same account, so it's very clearly evidence of a very primitive and sloppy um, dead internet ghost town that's run by AI, right? And and, and um, it's it's so um, clearly empty, and it's so clearly useless that this is why um, they're considering it the first one to go out of all the major, quote-unquote, major international webs, uh, social media networks. Twitter will be the first to close down. But it'll start a domino effect where social media uh, uh, companies start closing down unless they're completely paired with the government or um, higher industries. Like, I'm not saying Facebook's going to close down because Facebook has become the de facto corporate website and it helps the government. It's a CIA project originally. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's definitely governmentally supported just like SpaceX is stupid but it's never going to close down until fucking Elon Musk goes to jail for corporate fraud and uh, taxpayer theft um, it's going to take something like that to take down those giants but at the in the same time no one uses Facebook absolutely not a fucking single real person uses Facebook it is a dumb, outdated obsolete uh, waste of time it's heavily censored, so you can't even post anything. Uh, and why would you want to? It literally is a um, a way of for for older people just simply to email each other because it's like it takes the place of chat and it takes the place of messenger and things that existed since the internet began. And it's just because the older and I mean the older than myself and the much older generation. Uh, seek to be a part of the world of the internet. Like I said, more people now are using the internet ever before. People who normally and would not have ever used the internet are giving it a shot because it's everywhere and it's in their face and they they're but they don't have any experience and any education in it or any desire to learn or or any even interest in it. It's just a formality to keep up with the times. It's like when people wanted to read a newspaper, but they didn't care, so they just read any newspaper, and they didn't understand that like different newspapers had different news, and it meant something to read certain newspapers, and they would just be like, yeah, I'm just reading the local paper. And you're like, there's like, literally, there were thousands and thousands of newspapers in America. They, they sold them worldwide. Is because different. It, it's exactly that. Like there's this idea they want to consume the media, but they don't. Like you know, they don't really under. They're not hip to it, and so they use Facebook or they use Twitter or they use uh, Instagram or they use these different major companies that promote themselves as being the real internet, but are not. Now that's one factor, and the other factor is that people really just don't give a shit, and they never have. The real world exists outside of the internet. And that's why I said most people um, are choosing to unplug. And they have to because life is not online. And it never really will be. And, and the what could have been where the internet um, allowed people to be free or freer online. Um, I mean, it's just a loss. 
It really is. Those people will be free. Those people will always be free. And it and what could have been is it will be again and will be in some ways a new way. Just like the internet was a new way. Um, it's yet to be decided. It's yet to be made. And that's the thing. Like the internet was once new, but it's not. It's an ancient technology. Wireless energy, the electronic uh, cloud, all of that. It's, you know... It has its cycles. It really does. Now, what I think will happen with the dead internet theory is that people will start rebuilding the internet and using the actual coding and the algorithms and the technology to remake it and to remake it right. I think that you're going to see a lot more DIY, the do-it-yourselfers, when it comes to computer programs and creating things like chat groups or creating things like anonymous image boards, like the technology and the coding that made 4chan has been copied and has been reproduced in other iterations. I know that. 8kun, 2chan, uh, you know, uh, Leafchan. It's about learning computer code. It's about learning what the internet truly is and how it's made. And this is why I said the, the real separation in the future will be your sheep, your, your useless eaters, your people who just want to go online because everyone's online and they should be too and they got nothing else to do and they really just don't care what the fuck is going on. They're, they got Instagram, they got their Facebook, they're happy. You know, like, and whatever. Like, they really don't care about anything ever, and they never will. And then you have people who would have been in the middle. Now they have to go full hacker, and they have to learn coding, and they have to learn all this shit because it's the only way to be free. And it's just like, um, you know, same shit, different day for a different thing. And, and that's my real take on the dead internet theory. It's a phenomenon. It's not a real... Um, it's not an absolute certainty that the internet is completely empty. But it is an absolute certainty that the internet is mostly an, a, a ghost-in-the-machine uh, complete simulation where 9 out of 10 social media accounts and 9 out of 10 um, YouTube channels and, you know, video channels and shit are completely made by, like, six companies overall and that those companies are, like, doing this and organizing it this way to forge and um, commit fraud when it comes to their globalized monetary effort of controlling the internet. Facebook does not have like, what is it? Seven billion, I think they have like eight billion accounts or something like that. There's like more accounts than they have people. And it's like, it's like, and then you think, well, it's because people make multiple accounts and dead people, their accounts stay on and everything. You're like, okay, they want you to think like literally everybody in uh, in the world uses Facebook like all day, all the time. And that it's the best way to communicate with each other. And while it's internationally popular, I will not deny it. Um, those numbers are because the systems are being used to create false accounts and then to operate those false accounts with AI 
rapidly overnight and they have done that for the last 10 years so the progress is being made the experience is already there the systems are already in place and if you were to create a website you have much more of a chance to communicate with one of these bots than you ever do with the real person and if you were really independent you will not see the growth you will not see the numbers that these bots do because you are not part of that bot system I will go even further to say that all people who succeed online have taken advantage of this bot system, at least in terms of numbers. And thus the definition of what it means to succeed does not rely on numbers, but relies on the connection with real human beings. Much like has it always has been. So no longer is the internet the the place well because I said the internet was always supposed to be the place where real human beings could meet re- other real human beings for things in the real world that interest them right to share their mutual interests it is now returning to that again because real human beings have to seek out real human beings using the internet only to connect on things in the real world that they truly are interested in while all the fake human beings and the fake websites are defined because of their focus on shit that no real person would ever care about. No real person is making a YouTube video about fucking Legos as a grown adult man. That is paid for by the fucking Lego companies and the the internet companies to generate numbers and to artificially inflate their stock, their prices, their traffic, etc. and to keep the money all within the house, the greater house of the corporate system and deprive the common man of views and attention and also in, in hopes of ensnaring the gullible and dumb youth of our country. That is the explanation for the dead internet theory from the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Is that it's not a reality. The internet does have both real people and the bots going on head to head. But the bots are what you see whenever you open your eyes. And to put it philosophically, the real people who are who you find when you start searching not with Google but with your heart we're gonna win this guys we're gonna win this internet war we are we made it we're gonna win it let's keep up there are real people online there are And it doesn't matter about numbers. And you can't win a rigged game, so don't even bother. The best bet is not even to fight or or get engaged with their gamble or get obsessed with things like view counts or likes or shares or anything, but to 
really just live your life as you would to the fullest and try your best. Life's not a popularity contest. And neither is the internet. And it's sad because I used to have endless amounts of joy and 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 fun and excitement going on things like 4chan, which was a real way of connecting with others, you know, uh, online. But it'll happen again. We just got to make our own. Exactly. That, that's more being a mad that the place you used to go to, a bar or whatever, is closing down. And woe be me, you know, where am I going to go type thing. And if I truly liked it and I truly loved it, I would make my own, you know, because that's the, say, you would make your own or you would just move on and realize nothing lasts forever. Thank you all very much. You can check out my social media, ironically, on Instagram, which is, as I said, flagship service, Instagram, Beyond Top Secret Texan. Upload there constantly and daily. Get your news, your memes, your comedy, and your updates on the channel, the uploads, and the notifications for that, as well as shares of video content. Post videos on there as well. Uh, TikTok, heavily promote going on the TikTok. Uh, 580 videos for you guys to enjoy. Dark web, strange evidence, uh, real evidence, legit videos of UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural. Um check that out every view leads uh, you know helps me out and share it amongst your friends I know TikTok is very popular nowadays uh, like I said 440 videos on YouTube but you can also find those videos on Library and Odyssey and if you have a choice definitely check out the Library and Odyssey page as an alternative to the uh, monolithic evil YouTube empire and uh, you know thank you all very much for joining me today and checking that out there'll be um future episodes uploaded as regularly as this and these were but starting 2020 it'll all be behind a paypal or a paywall so you can check it out donate to the uh, cash app or the patreon both at beyond top secret texan so it's patreon.com slash beyond top secret texan and the cash app with like the money sign beyond top secret texan and all donations made uh, go strictly to the show it's a non-profit show as well as the uh the access and the, the, the perks given to you, um, you know, are, are definitely worth it, worth any contribution you might give. Say, so starting at a dollar. So thank you all very much in advance for your generosity and your support. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. God bless you. Peace out.
The internet is dead. Nobody killed it, which is good, but it's also undead, which is bad. An interesting theory has circulated around 4chan's X board and other image boards recently. It's a fascinating, if extreme, idea. The dead internet theory. A belief that the internet has entered a state of automated cultural technological stagnation. Or to quote the theory's thesis, large proportions of the supposedly human-produced content on the internet are actually generated by artificial intelligence networks in conjunction with paid secret media influencers in order to manufacture consumers for an increasingly range of newly normalized cultural products. A little theoretical, but the idea makes sense. Now, this is an image board theory by Anons, so bizarre and extreme points show up in it, often bordering on schizophrenia. But there is a body of research over two decades that substantiates the theory, to a degree. The internet has been hollowed out by algorithms, social media, and bots. Maybe calling it dead is an exaggeration, but the title is hyperbole. Compared to ten years ago, the internet feels... empty. Hollow like a balloon filled with air. The surface appears massive, but there's nothing in there. A sea that is a mile wide, but an inch deep. It's not a process of enclosure and sanitation, though it goes hand in hand with that, but something different. The elements of human creativity are being quietly pulled out and replaced with pure artificiality. The modern internet, in certain terms, is dead. As in what was once human has withered away. The normal user is shoved ever deeper into a Skinner box of shadows. In his 2001 white paper on the deep web, Michael K. Bergman described the philosophical problem of the internet as, What cannot be seen cannot be defined, and what is not defined cannot be understood. Such has been the case with the importance of databases to the information content of the web. As databases have grown larger and ever more complicated, this problem has only increased. Now, it's also applied to everything else. It's time to perform an autopsy on the internet's bloated corpse. The dead internet theory, which cohered on 4chan's export around the end of 2020, start of 2021, is massive. It spans one long post and several supplementary threads, but it can be boiled down to nine or ten major points. For simplicity, the arguments alone will be focused on here. It's an argument that the internet is largely artificial, if not outright fake. The anonymous poster's points boil down to these. 1. People seemingly cease to exist on the internet at random. Identities emerge, then vanish. The people behind them, if any, are never known. Even close friends on the internet have a habit of ceasing to exist after a few years. Now, it is the internet, but why leave so suddenly? Perhaps nobody was behind these profiles to begin with? 2. Certain content seems to be recycled or repeated on the internet. It's obvious on websites like 4chan, Twitter, and Reddit. Posters will always bring up the same topics and images. These same points start the same controversies over and over. It happens because it gets reactions and bumps threads, but this repeats endlessly, seemingly always belaboring the same things again and again. 3. The same news stories occur again and again. A similar issue to number 2, but with mainstream and independent news sources. The same things seem to happen every few years. It feels like reality is fetching the same set of news stories to repeat ad nauseum. Now, 
people are boring, but its culture stuck on a few points. 4. A sense of literal internet mimetic evolution, or digital predestination. Everything on the internet seems to move towards a certain point in retrospect. The Anon in the Post traces a direct lineage from the old Raptor Jesus memes, to the bizarre chaos magic importance of Pepe the Frog, to the now dozens of splinter cults of cartoon frog image macros. A subpoint to this is the sensation each website exists to condition certain segments of the digital population. 4chan's Hackers on Steroids were guided by intelligence operations from Habbo Hotel raids to that one-time Pol's Syria general thread helped coordinate a military strike in Syria. The founders of these websites rarely factor in and either disappear into the background or simply wither away. 5. The Increase of Sexual Perversion on the Internet The internet has always been for porn, but there seems to be way more nowadays. There probably actually is. Every fetish exists and is catered to somewhere. Cannot go too deep into this one because, well, frankly, I just don't want to. 6. Algorithmic Fiction one of the more extreme positions of the theory, that all mass-marketed entertainment, movies, music, books, is generated by algorithms or AIs. It's a modern version of Roald Dahl's The Great Automatic Remanitizer. All fiction is produced by machines, which can only create a lifeless imitation. According to the theory, only anime is exempt from this, because it's from an anime image board. 7. Entire sections of the world are fake. People, events, and places are all deepfakes. Wikipedia allows entire biographies, cities, and historical events to be conjured out of thin air. It's impossible to prove since the internet exists in an omnipresent present. There's no past or future, really. You just exist. 8. The internet on the computer and smartphones is different. Are different? Essentially true with desktop and mobile sites. But this theory takes it further. These websites are too different. Each one, smartphone and computer, has completely different content when compared to the other one. You just have to pay attention. 9. Tech CEOs are totally aware of this and manipulated against one another for unknown goals. The internet is a battlefield of fake people fighting fake wars. AI systems already rule. So, simple, right? There are extreme points, but it's from 4chan's paranormal board, so it is going to be off-kilter. Yet, it is closer to reality than may seem. Studies over the past 20 years indicate the internet may be deader than most think. It may have been this way since essentially the start. Start with the average user of the internet. An idea Harold Weinrich and Hartmuth Obendorf's 2006-2008 study, not quite the average, an empirical study of web use, warns researchers away from with the statement, one has to be careful when speaking of the average user of the web. The Weinrich and Obendorf study is an empirical look on how users interact with web pages. And, as far as I can tell, it's the most recent study of its type, though now 15 years out of date. Not quite the average's age is a boon, though, because it examines the pre-social media internet. The actual study was performed in 2006, which was one or two years before services like Twitter and Facebook really took off. These statistics, then, if anything, have likely fallen as quicker, snappier text has fried web users' attention spans. What does it say about the 2006 to 2008 period, then? Weinrich and Opendorf observe users are divided into two browsing styles, Navigate and Explore. 
The navigation style was those seeking a certain web page or people who navigated towards one source from search results. The exploratory style is exactly what it says. Exploratory users were interested in exploring web pages, sifting through search results, and examining links. Though, as web pages have become more centralized around a central column of text, this exploratory style has probably decreased to some degree. The most common navigation actions, according to the study, were hyperlink clicks at 52% of clicks, back button clicks at 41% of clicks, and the other seven being other archival actions like printing. Though, later revisions suggest clicking on page buttons replaced back button for the second most common action a couple years later. None of these statistics appear to have varied much by navigation style. Similar with what the study discovered about location of click frequency, almost half, 45%, of user clicks occurred in the upper left quadrant of the web page. Pre-2007 websites favored hyperlinks in the upper left of the screen. Social media then has likely realigned this to the center of the screen, but it's probably still true to some degree. What does all this technical interaction have to do with net quality though? It is in how much users read. That 79% of our test users always scanned any new page they came across. Only 16% read word by word. Even for 2006, 2008, that was not a comforting statistic. Not that scanning is inherently bad, you need it to pick up quick information, but another contemporary statistic does not improve the situation. In 2008, the Nielsen Group published the article, How Little Do Users Read?, in direct response to the not-quite-the-average study. The Nielsen article found how much users read is highly variable by small word counts. The study concluded users generally only read at most 28% of the words during an average visit, but 20% is more likely on an average web page of 593 words. This percentage does fall with the increase of word count as well. And this was for experienced users too, so people who just take a quick look at the internet are likely even lower. The general conclusion of these studies is that the average internet user does not read that much of what they see on the internet. This is why everything on the internet looks the same. Marshall McLuhan's old adage that the medium is the message. But to explain, the Nielsen Group was able to conclude why the internet looks the way it does all the way back in September 1997 due to this. Readability. It's all about readability. Remember old personal web pages and early corporate websites? The internet used to look a lot more experimental, but homogenization conquers all. What won the internet was simplicity, concise text, scannable layout, and objective language. Nielsen's article, How Users Read on the Web, makes why this standardization occurred incredibly clear. The web pages that survived the digital Darwinian thinning process employed scannable text. Things like highlighted keywords, meaningful subheadings, bulleted lists, one idea per paragraph, an inverted pyramid style of writing that starts with the conclusion and half the word count of conventional writing, so less than what you'd see in a book. The central column alignment of writing cohered to this, an optimized orientation. Articles have evolved into the apex predators of marketability. Okay, so the internet evolved so people would read it more, but maybe only between 16 and 28% actually do, depending on one's interpretation of read. What about what's on the web? There seems to be plenty of content, right? There is, 
but the whole story is a lot more bizarre. Follow along, it's complicated to explain. Google simply stops at some point, or it appears to stop. Call it the Google conundrum. If a user searches a topic, the amount of estimated results will shrink as they navigate to the end of the search pages. What should be thousands of pages of results from millions of results is reduced to only a couple dozen pages, at most, even with omitted results. It simply stops. You shall not pass. Is Google lying? Attempting to make the internet seem deeper than it is? No, the number is an estimate. The actual explanation is just hidden from you. As Google explains, in addition, when you click on the next page of search results, the total number of search results can change. In this case, we realize that some of the query results are duplicates and collapse those duplicates so that you can find the specific result you're looking for more easily. Collapsing the duplicates decreases the estimated number of results as well as the overall number of results pages. What Google is doing is collapsing duplicate, fake, and useless results. You can see this if you search the name of this YouTube channel, which I of course assume you are subscribed to, wink wink. Most of the results are only vaguely related with a lot of automated phishing web pages with barely related topics about my videos. What one is not seen in most search results is the amount of useless data in temporary web pages that would exist in them. It makes the internet appear shallow when it's mostly just junk. Search engines, Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, Yandex, only trawl the surface of the net. They spider or crawl the web by spinning off results from links and similarities between web pages. Though how this happens varies by website and company, so the service may be different depending. Back in 2006, not quite the average found 98% of Google's search results were updated after seven days or more, for example. Where is everything else? Hidden behind the curtain. What search engines do not index, people now know colloquially as the deep web. The deep web is the rest of the internet that cannot be easily accessed by search engines. It's mostly useless data, orphaned web pages, and mirrored websites, sometimes with illegal content. Hard statistics will always be blurry on it, but some statistics do place the content of the entire internet at being around 4% surface web versus 96% deep web, but that number may be outdated. Today, for example, Google indexes an estimated 5.27 billion web pages, but that also changes by the minute. In his original 2001 white paper on the deep web, Michael K. Bergman estimated, back in 2000, that search engines were only indexing about one in every 3,000, 0.03% of web pages available to them, an astounding drop from 32% of the internet cataloged in 1998 to 16% in 1999 to around 4% or less today. Our result of the deep web's unlimited growth potential as link rot, the death of hyperlinks to sources, withers older web pages away into orphaned obscurity. Though, as Bergman warned about this, there is no bright line that separates content sources on the web. There are circumstances where deep content can appear on the surface, and, especially with specialty search engines, when surface content can appear to be deep. The internet is always undergoing a state of natural electric rot due to link rot, so slowly falling into the deep web essentially, but often humans cannot see beyond their tools. It is doubtless the algorithms behind search engines define what the internet is to most casual users. 
Algorithms now dominate search engines, social media, and yes, even YouTube. Algorithmic processes, by now, have near total control of every major website. Somewhat disconcerting, as Robert Kowalski defined the most basic definition of algorithm as logic plus control. Users are fish, and the algorithm is the water. A common observation is algorithms have near totally captured, and to some degree, quarantined off digital culture. A common accusation being algorithms have caused the perceived stagnation of digital culture, and thus the entirety of online culture. Algorithms are so distrusted because they serve as the internet's black boxes. A mechanism taken away in the background with little definition of what it is or does. Companies like Google and Facebook keep their algorithms as question marks to maintain market domination. A cracked or obvious algorithm endangers profit as it can be exploited or circumvented. Or as Jay Rabarge in our Safer described in What Are Algorithmic Cultures, it threatens the Googleplex. Internet megagiant's dominance, or near-monopoly, on cultural creation and curation. Granted, the Googleplex concept in theory is not new. Cultural critic Neil Postman coined the term technopoly back in the early 90s to describe a similar issue at the time. Postman's definition was developed pre-mass internet adoption, but it still diagnoses a common enough problem to apply now. Postman's theory that, in technological society, the idea of if something could be done, it must be done, has replaced all concrete theory. Culture has been captured by the technopoly, which, as Postman defined it, is the submission of all forms of cultural life to the sovereignty of technique and technology. The core idea of technopoly is progress for progress's sake, without moral or even political direction. There is no such thing as value in itself, as the technopoly replaces all theory with the fetish of optimization. The internet has been optimized into a lobotomized state. As Roberge and Seyfert described the fetishization of optimization through algorithms, that is to say, the fulfillment of this dream is always one step away from its completion. There is always only one more algorithm yet to be implemented. In other words, it is only such constant algorithmic misalignments that explain the existence of promises and hopes of a smooth algorithmic functionality. Sound familiar? Replace optimization with pointless updates, needless aesthetic changes, and bizarre technical choices that break social media and websites every year. True believers in technopoly see a purpose behind these things, while cynical developers use it to justify their salaries. The idea of good enough for a website or service makes developers redundant. From Adobe's subscription model, to the new Twitter timeline, and new Reddit format, to even YouTube's talks about removing the dislike button, a feature you can literally turn off, tech giants are obsessed with the concept of the update. Update in abstract. User experience seems a secondary thought against buzzwords like modern and innovative. Ironically enough, the effort for a perfect website has destroyed all trust in these websites. A large segment of users have no trust in these massive universal websites because the second they grow accustomed to them, they change. Roberge and Seyfert called this concept the somewhat unnerving term of algorithmic production of trust. It obviously no longer exists, because, looking at their definition, in turn, users need to believe that their counterparts are real, ergo, they need to trust the social media platform they are using. Thus, the algorithmic production of trust is one of the most important mechanisms of social media platforms. 
People do not trust the platforms, nor, for the most part, each other, or they trust too much. What about other websites and forums? Why not those? Yes, there are obviously other places on the internet beside the five or seven major social media websites. One could discuss the scattered forms remaining, but social media has produced a rural urban divide online. I mean, literally online, in digital culture. To explain, social media has a digital brain drain effect. What has occurred online is comparable to the industrial revolutions of the early 1800s, or, as the English poet William Blake described it, these dark satanic mills. Social media websites are the urban centers or factories that consume the digital human capital of the online countryside. Forms are ruined, personal websites forgotten, and profiles packed up as users mass migrate to a few central hubs. There they face standardization to what can only be called the internet's metropolitan culture based around YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Tumblr, and other major sites. The immigrants from these smaller internet cultures then have to redefine themselves to fit each website's policy. Certain cultural traits remain among sub-communities and ghettos, but they too are solely homogenized and grow distant from their origins. A standardized internet language is laundered. Their shibboleths and image macros are integrated into the wider populace and usually sanitized in general forms. What about that populace, then? Really, nothing definite can be said about the internet populace overall. Even the old, it skews younger, is probably not true anymore, if it was ever actually true. It's impossible to say how many people actually use the internet. In 2012, a hacker estimated there were 1.3 billion global IP addresses, but that is not equivalent to users at all. It would be like saying the global population equals the number of vehicles in existence. Current estimates peg it at around 4.66 billion users, but that is only a ballpark number. In 2006-2007, Jay Leskovic and E. Horvitz used data from Microsoft Messenger's instant messaging system to estimate the links, or six degrees of separation, between people. Turns out, online at least, there are only about six people separating everyone online. 6.6 .6 to be exact. This may be why the internet often seems so small, as it selects for an exact population, then algorithms funnel these people into groups which persist across websites. Or it's just some form of subconscious group preference. Or, as they described in planetary scale views on an instant messaging network, social networks have been found to be highly transitive, i.e. people with common friends tend to be friends themselves. That's all sort of obvious, though. Look at the actual content of social media, then, to see how distorted this dead web can be. Twitter. According to Pew Research Center in 2019, about 22% of American adults used Twitter, down from about 23% in 2018, but that was also up from 20% in 2016. I do not expect it has changed much in the past two years. Though, today, 17%, one in five, Adults are smartphone-only internet users, implying they largely only access the internet through apps. Twitter's problem is it is far from representative of the actual American and global population. In a 2019 study where American adults volunteered their Twitter accounts, they had to directly connect themselves to it, so no anonymous accounts here, Pew Research Center found the top 10% of U.S. Twitter users compose about 80% of the tweets. That highly active 10% of users is about 65% female, 69 say they tweet about politics, and generally lean left liberal. 
This highly engaged segment tweets about 138 times a month, compared to the astounding two times per month the other 90% do. By now, it's obvious Twitter has an amplifying effect on the top 10% since they produce the most content, as engagement equals attention equals advertising money, or however Twitter doesn't make money. At least in regards to non-anonymous accounts, Twitter's system launders jokes slash ideas by a simple social model. PR Chamberlain developed the listener-talker-hub model of Twitter to explain how information is transferred across the website. It could also be called something like the spoke-and-wheel model. Hubs are users slash accounts that act as the main disseminators of information, largely influencers or that top 10% of tweeters. What spokes off from the hubs are talkers and listeners. Hubs are accounts which repeat and transmit between or against other users. Listeners are those accounts who engage little and often only seem to follow or listen. Talkers are those that make the conversation, though, and hubs echo it. Information usually flows outwards from the talkers, or conversation makers. Twitter, then, is basically a one-way conversation happening over millions of people. Target or control hub users, and you control the flow of information. Target talkers, and you control the content of discussion. How genuine is that conversation? Eh, probably not very. Social pressure and gossip of the day are Twitter. Back in Twitter's early days... Nielsen observed an actual social contagion effect in regards to the H1N1 swine flu virus. On April 24, 2009, references to the H1N1 virus made up only 0.2% of tweets. The next day, April 25th, it was 2% of all tweets on the website. What about bots, though? Do those impact the conversation? That is much harder to prove. Here are Twitter's own numbers on that problem. Trust them as you will. The 2013 annual report claimed 240 million monthly active users, but Twitter said that there were 10 million non-genuine, note the term, users. Fake accounts, duplicates, and bots. So, about 4.5% of the website's population in 2013 were fake, depending on how you define fake. So, has the fourth industrial revolution left the internet an actual Android warehouse then? Once again, it's hard to say, but take a look at Reddit. Reddit's voting system, though not unique to Reddit, has long been accused of creating false, easily fudgeable consensus. Positive feedback, seeing number go up, encourages repetition of content and opinions guaranteed to generate the greatest rewards possible. Involuntary self-optimization. The pool of 430 million monthly active users means returns are rarely diminishing, and because how Reddit's front page works. Reddit's system flaws have been talked to death, but, like with Twitter, who is using that system? Reddit users are worthless. Not being cruel here, it's economically true. Back in 2019, Reddit's ARPU, average revenue per user, was believed to be about 30 cents. So, the average Redditor's soul is apparently about 30 cents. Compared to Twitter's of $9 and about 50 cents, and Snapchat's of around $2. Why is that? Reddit's user base slants young and male, so less money and they use adblock. It may also be because Reddit accounts are largely disposable. Besides a username, they can be pretty bare bones. A user, usually, does not even need to add an email address to make one. Reddit accounts probably also collect less personal information. 
that can be a good or a bad thing depending on your interpretation. So there is less personal data for targeted advertising. It could also be because no one knows the exact number of fake accounts. Not even Reddit. More complicated bots are hard to tag on Reddit, so an estimate is nearly impossible. One would think Reddit, being a site that requires more complicated engagement, would dissuade bots. It is a hurdle, but not always a problem. The subreddit r slash subreddit simulator proves bots can mimic Reddit posters with a little logic. Once again, Reddit users' souls are apparently about 30 cents. Bot accounts powered up by Markov chains, logic chains, which scrape from certain subreddits, put on the performance of users interacting. It's mostly nonsense, but sometimes there's a monkeys on typewriters example of randomness producing something interesting. Back in October 2020 as well, Philip Winston discovered a bot powered by the much stronger GPT-3, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3, had been posted on Ask Reddit for a week. It went by the username The Gentle Meter and generated a bunch of in-depth posts that received some response. Granted, it appears the creator intervened to respond to other users, but most were unaware of the original posts being by the bot. It was more proof of concept than anything. What about YouTube? It's not much better here. Faceless hordes of viewers make it even worse in some respects. Despite policies, fake views and fake subscribers still flourish on YouTube. There is very little that can actually be done due to how YouTube's impression system works. A view is a view, even if done by a bot. Fake viewership is its own YouTube cottage industry. In 2018, thevumi.com reported that they made over $1.2 million over three years by selling 196 million YouTube views across the platform. Facebook, in a similar fashion, has been accused, and basically admitted to, massively inflating view counts. That was under their own volition. It wasn't someone else faking it. It's not surprising when you realize YouTube undergoes waves of pruning. Very few target view numbers, though. YouTube really started removing inactive and fake accounts back in 2014. A somewhat important event in YouTube history because some channels lost an upwards of 20,000 subscribers from it, knocking them under certain subscriber goals at the time. Why the grand bot purge of 2014, though? Well, back in 2013, YouTube feared the inversion, as developers called it. What was slash is the inversion? In 2013, YouTube reported nearly half the website's traffic was bots masquerading as people. YouTube's developers feared if the percentage of bots kept increasing, YouTube's algorithm would flip. It would think bots were humans and humans were bots. The algorithms would then cater to automated bots instead of human users. The bots would become the audience. Another example of algorithms' questionable nature. The inversion never happened. Probably, but it was a possibility until the purges of 2014 attempted to adjust the website's mechanical organic demographics. YouTube is more the exception than the rule when it comes to this online, though. The majority of internet traffic is, probably, normally robots of varying types. As already covered, it's hard, if not impossible, to get numbers on internet traffic. But some have attempted estimates. In 2016, the security firm Imperva reported, by their own count, 51.8% of internet traffic was bots, and 48.2% was human. Basically the same as 2012 numbers, depending on source, but it varies. Most will say automated traffic accounts for between 50-60%, to 60%, depending on year. 
The majority of internet traffic is bots, though. The legitimate bots are those that serve a utilitarian purpose. Spiderbots index slash crawl websites for search engines. Trading bots perform automated trades on merchant sites. And media bots perform your basic everyday video slash picture loading functions. Malicious bots want your personal information or to burden your website. Spam bots spam. Hacker bots attempt to force access accounts for identity information. Botnets create fake traffic. And download bots strip resources from websites. Imperver reckoned that the difference of legitimate and malicious bots at 22.9% to 28.9% of internet bot traffic. Imperver believes the most common type is the impersonator, believed to account for 24.3% of internet traffic. Not bot traffic, internet traffic in total. Impersonators are fake accounts and those used for denial of service attacks. Yes, in the barest interpretation, 24.3% of internet traffic is fake, or empty users. It's impossible to say how complex or smart they are in general, though. So, is the internet dead? No, lobotomized or maybe automated is a better term. Even hollow, if one will bear the reference. Facebook's FeedFetcher, itself an automated bot-slash-program, is believed to produce about 4.4% of all website traffic. That's just the thing that updates your dad's timeline on Facebook. Bots have become so bad, 18 states prohibited automated ticket-purchasing software, the first three being right at the start of the mass internet. Wisconsin in 1995, Utah in 1996, and Alaska in 1997. In 2016, the United States even passed the Better Online Ticket Sales Act, or BOTS Act, <laughs> which intended to help suppress automated mass ticket scalping. It's similar in Asia. Fake viewership and followers have become such an issue in China, the PRC, through the People's Daily, declared war on bots as a social technological issue. It's an open secret, fake, paid-for viewership is one of the pillars of the Chinese live-streaming industry. Water armies, as the term apparently transliterates from Chinese, interesting, of fake bot accounts have been legislated against by the Chinese government. So it's not only the English internet which is hollow. Everywhere the web faces automization until termination. In Technopoly, Neil Postman raised the question, will the computer raise egocentrism to the status of a virtue? Yes, it definitely has, but nobody would believe it could be so solipsistic. Tools are an outgrowth of humanity. The internet is an outgrowth of tools. So, by transitive property, the internet is an outgrowth of humanity. An outgrowth of us. Postman's forerunner, Marshall McLuhan, said electric media is simply an outgrowth of the central nervous system. The internet, then, is where everyone's nervous systems collide. The fish cannot much see the water, nor notice the pool is shrinking. You swim in websites, articles, videos, and social media posts every day, but hopefully not too much, or you'll drown. Postman feared the technopoly would produce an egocentric world. But what if the internet is undergoing ego death? Not human ego, though. Its own.